0: Hello, Ebenezer. Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed together fig leaves and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, "'Where are you?' He said, The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Last week, we began our Lenten series called The Big Picture. And the goal of this series is to help us see the story of our faith and the way that it fits together in one glorious arc toward God's design. To tell the story, we have to begin with God, and that's what we did last week. We asked the question, who is God really? In and of God's self. And the best answer that we can come up with for this is this. God is perfect relationship. At the center of God's self is the perfect relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this divine and cosmic dance so precise that the three are one. That's who God is. That's where the story begins. God is perfect relationship and... What we will see through the rest of the story is that God's work along the journey has been about trying to give us the gift of what God already has. God has been striving to give us the gift of perfect relationship. We're going to see this today as we begin our study of the action in the Bible. The first, first account, the account of creation. And then we'll see the first setback, the reality of sin. But let's start, let's start with creation today. The first thing to note about the creation story in Genesis is that there are actually two creation stories in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 is one creation story. Genesis chapter 2, beginning around verse 4, is a second creation story. Now, I grew up in church my whole life, and until I got to college, never, ever recognized that there are two creation stories in Genesis, It's not a concern. It's not a problem. The Bible tells us multiple examples of stories all the time. There's uh, an account of the Ten Commandments in Exodus and another one in Deuteronomy. There are four different accounts of the life of Jesus. And in Genesis, there are two creation accounts. So let's start by trying to understand the first creation account in Genesis chapter 1 from the 30,000-foot view. There's a lot to notice in Genesis chapter 1. But one of the things that I want to make sure we focus on is that God creates over time. Not in one instant, but God creates over time. And as God creates over time, one of the things that we see is that God creates in this tremendously orderly way. That there are actually two cycles of creation. Now, we've talked about this before, but to illustrate the point, to make sure that we get it, give me a moment just to review. On day one of creation, God creates light and dark. On day two of creation, God creates the sea and the sky. On day three of creation, God brings forth the land from the sea. That's the first cycle. Light and dark, sea and sky, land. First three days. Then, God begins a second cycle. And in the second cycle, God begins to populate those spaces God had already created. On day one, God had created light and dark. On day four, God populates light and dark with the sun, the moon, and the stars. On day two, God created the sea and the sky. On day five, God populates the sea with fish and the sky with the birds. On day three, God had called forth the land. And on day six, God goes back and populates the land with the animals and finally with us. What we see in Genesis chapter one is a God of tremendous order, precision, precision. Precision to the point of being perfect. What about Genesis chapter 2? Genesis chapter 2 is beautifully and blessedly a stark contrast. Not because they're articulating two different gods, but rather trying to help us see the fullness of who God is. In Genesis chapter 1, God is kingly and powerful and stately. God speaks and things come into being. But in Genesis chapter 2, God is much more interactive, connectional. God kneels down and forms the first human from the dust of the earth. God gets God's hands dirty. It articulates a relationship between the Creator and the creation. And not only that, but even the way that the story is told, there's an inherent relationship between the man who's been created and the land. Because in Hebrew, the man is Adam, Adam. And the land is Adama. The Adam is taken from the Adama. There's a relationship between God and the human. There's a relationship between the human and the land. Eventually, God calls forth Eve from Adam and establishes relationship there in the pinnacle of moment of, of Genesis chapter 2 where life actually begins for the human. God kneels down and touches God's lips to the human's mouth and blows the breath of Ruah into that person, It is intimacy. The whole story is a story about relationship. And so if we put these two components together, Genesis chapter 1, where God is ordered and precise and perfect, with Genesis chapter 2, where God is connectional and intimate, it's a story of relationship. What we see is that these two creation stories, the way that God is represented, teaches us who God is. Once more, it affirms the being of God. God is perfect relationship, and God created us to be in perfect relationship with God and with one another. It's beautiful. How the story begins so clearly emitting emerging from the heart of the God who created at its heart, the beginning of the story, the creation reflects the Creator perfectly. One other thing I want us to note before we move on from this conversation about creation, my friends. Creation itself is in and of itself an act of love. We often have it in our minds that throughout history what really happened was that God tried and humanity failed. For example, God created and humanity sinned. So God tries again. God stands up a family through this guy named Abraham. But church, it is the most dysfunctional family you've ever seen in your life. There's a point in Genesis where Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. Jacob steals things from his brother Esau. It's a profoundly dysfunctional family. God tries and we fail. So God says, all right, I'll establish a law. I'll establish a law. So God calls Moses up on top of a mountainside and, church, before Moses ever gets down the mountainside, Moses breaks the law. Literally, drops and breaks the law because he's bearing witness to what the Israelite people are doing in his absence. And God says, "It's okay. I'll, I'll try. I'll try. I'll try a kingdom." So God anoints David. But as so often happens with humanity, the power corrupts. And when we tell ourselves the story, so often we'll say God tried and humanity failed and God tried and humanity failed and God tried and humanity failed until out of options, finally God had no other choice but to send Jesus. But that's not the right story. In John chapter 1, John is trying to help us understand the true nature of creation. And so whereas Matthew and Luke begin with the story of Jesus' birth, John goes back to the very beginning. John says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. He says, everything that came into being came through Him, and without Him, nothing came into being. What John is telling us, my friends... is that Jesus Christ was the plan all along. He wasn't the last resort. He was the plan all along. God knew, God knew that the cost of creation would be the cross of Calvary, and God chose to create anyway. The God of perfect relationship, created out of God's perfection and relation in an act of unparalleled love. God, a perfect relationship, created despite the immense cost, so you and I could enjoy the same kind of connection God has in God's self. But then, then the problem, the story takes its first turn. Everything in creation went really, really well until we get to chapter 3. And people, both the man and the woman, chose not to do what God had called them to do. Now there are a lot of things that we could focus on in our scripture passage that was read for us today from Genesis chapter 3. Why, for example, does Eve Make the commandment more restrictive than God did. The serpent asked if she was allowed to eat the fruit. And Eve said, I'm not allowed to eat it, nor am I even allowed to touch it. But that's not what God had told her. God just said, you can't eat it. Why did she make that more restrictive? And one question that could emerge from that is, do we make God's commands on our lives for ourselves or for others more restrictive as well? We could focus on Adam who throughout the entire story was right there beside Eve and never said a word. Why? Just ate the food. We could talk about the first consequence of sin being the awareness of too much intimacy. The moment Adam and Eve become aware, the moment that they sin, they feel too close to one another. They literally put barriers on themselves by putting on clothes. They run and they try to hide from God. But this series is about the big picture. So what is the big picture of Genesis chapter 3? Well, what we're seeing happen in Genesis chapter 3 is the first setback to God's intended plan. The first setback to what God wants for us sin. Sin at its heart breaks apart our relationships It put literal barriers between Adam and Eve through clothing cause them to hide from rather than run to God if God is perfect relationship and God's will for us is perfect relationship sin is the thing that gets in the way of our relationship and connection and I say, well, how, how, does it, how does it do that precisely? Well, to, to explore how sin works, I want to fast forward to the New Testament a little bit and remind you of uh, the fact that there are primarily two words for sin in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. The One word is the word hamartia. And the word hamartia is the most common word for sin, and it, it means to miss the mark. It's that archery term that there's a bullseye. God sets a standard for us. And in the archery system, when... When you shoot an arrow, the distance between the bullseye and where the arrow lands, that distance is called the sin. To sin literally means to miss the mark that God has established for us to do something incorrectly, to do it wrong, to break the command. If I steal, for example, the Ten Commandments say thou shalt not steal. And if I steal, I'm missing the mark. It's worth noting, by the way, that that first example of law, which we'll talk about more next week as we begin our conversation around the covenants, that the Ten Commandments, there is a clear delineation there. The first four of the Ten Commandments are designed to help us engage in relationship with God. The last six of the Ten Commandments are there to help us engage in relationship with one another. But we must see the common theme there. The God of relationship is trying to help guide us toward perfect relationship. When we fail to follow God's design, we miss the mark. But there's a second word for sin used commonly in the New Testament. And that second word is the word hetima. Hetima means to hold something back. If you paid me for a dozen eggs and I only gave you 11, I would be guilty of hetima. I held something back. It's a failure to demonstrate reciprocity. So as we mentioned last week, that Jesus said the first and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why is that the first and greatest commandment? It's reciprocity. God has loved us with everything that God has. Therefore, we must reciprocate. We must love God with all that we are. God created us for perfect relationship. But sin compromises Sin handicaps, sin destroys relationship. Now the God who is perfect relationship, who created us to experience perfect relationship, we see it played out in the way God created perfection and connection together. And then sin comes along and starts to break it apart. Sin manifests itself in one of two ways either do things we shouldn't, or we hold back what we should be giving. It's not a terribly complicated idea, in theory at least. But in practice, working against sin can be tremendously hard. Let me tell you a story from my life that culminated this past week. the last 18 months, I've been really stressed out. You know why. I've been fighting with God and and trying to figure out what God's next step for me is. And not terribly happy about having to leave a job I love. But sometimes God calls us to do things we don't understand. I've been stressed out. And one of the things that we as human beings can do when we're stressed out is to take things out on the people whose who are not responsible for our stress. Sometimes we snap at our spouses or our kids because things at work are tough. Or sometimes we have a tough time at home and we snap at a coworker. It's actually a word for that. It's called transference. <laughs> Transfer our stress from one situation to another. Well, <clears throat> last Sunday afternoon I was out playing basketball with my family in the driveway. There was snow off the driveway, but we were playing basketball on the driveway. And uh I got onto my son about something silly. It wasn't wasn't important at all. And he didn't deserve it. But as probably every parent has done, I got on him anyway. Not because of him, but because of what was going on inside of me. Fast forward to that night, and I was laying in bed trying to fall asleep, and I just couldn't. But by this time, both my kids were asleep. So, uh, I went downstairs in the middle of the night and sat at the table in our kitchen. And I wrote both of my children letters. In which I simply said, I want you to know why I think you're amazing. And it's not because of of the what of you. I'm, I'm glad that you're smart and I'm glad that you're, you're beautiful and, and all those things make me happy. But what I really love about you is that you choose to be kind. You choose to be helpful. You choose to be nurturing and caring. Daring and brave at times. I told my kids that I know I got on them sometimes, but that daddy wasn't perfect either. And I'm going to try and keep being the best dad I can. I'm going to try and take steps to be the best dad I can be, because that's what you deserve. And I left these letters on the kitchen table for my kids to find the next morning. Monday, I had a conversation with my counselor. And I told him about this experience. And the whole reason I'm telling you this story is to tell you this. After I explained to my counselor that I'd written these letters to my kids, he got this far off kind of misty look in his eyes. And he's not a terribly emotive cat. And he looked at me and he said, Rob, do you know how many of my clients would kill to get a letter like that from their father's? I'm not trying to paint myself as a hero in this scenario. The whole reason I wrote them a letter is because I was feeling inadequate about the dad I'd been that day. But what occurred to me is my counselor said, Do you know how many of my clients would kill to get a letter like that from their fathers? I thought, how, why, why in the world are we holding this back? Why are we not telling the people around us how much we love them and how much they mean to, the, to us and, and why that is? telling them that we're grateful for the kindness that they show and the people that they are. God created us for perfect relationship. And yet so often we allow those silly things and those trite things and those temporal things to distract us from the desired course that God gave us. Sin is that thing that draws the lines between us, builds the walls among us. God created so we could have the experience of perfect relationship. And sin tries to tear it apart. What have you been doing that you need to stop doing in order to restore your relationship? What have you been holding back that you need to start giving? The God of precise, precise connection created us for perfect relationship. And as long as our relationships, With God and with one another are out of balance, our lives will be out of balance too. Sin pulls us out of balance, it compromises our purpose. Literally, the word means to hold back. So don't. Don't hold it back anymore. This day, right now, as soon as worship is over, write the letter, make the phone call. God created us out of perfect relationship for perfect relationship. It's why we were made. My friends, would you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks. We see who you are. The dance. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so precise that you are one. And you want the same for us. So often we miss the mark. So often we hold back from one another. Forgive us, O God. And give us a new opportunity this day. to move towards one another, to move towards you, to break apart the barriers and stand face to face. Sisters and brothers, let us not hold back. Let us hit the mark. Let us love as you have taught us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.